0: Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, I promise you will love my new audiobook for Moms Don't Have Time to A Quarantine Anthology. It's not about the quarantine, but a lot of the essays were written during that time about other things that moms don't have time to do or other busy people things like reading, eating, working out, breathing, having sex, and 60 best selling and notable authors wrote essays. All those authors have been on this very podcast. So if you like to listen to my conversations, if you want to get to know these authors better, I read the audiobook myself. Check it out on Audible. Moms don't have time to, a quarantine anthology. Again, Audible audiobook. Go listen to it. It's like 60 mini podcasts. I hope you enjoy. Mary Helen Sharif is the author of Boop and Eve's Road Trip, a novel. She's also the co-founder of Bookish Road Trip. After 14 years in classrooms teaching elementary school, middle school, college, and professionals, Mary has taken a break from the classroom to focus on writing. She has an MFA from Hollins University, an MA from ODU, and a BA from UBA. She lives in Henrico County with her two children, two cats, and one husband. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Boop and Eve's Road Trip.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: So please tell listeners what your book is about.
1: Sure. So my novel is Southern Women's Fiction, and it's the story of Eve, who is a college freshman who is struggling with depression, and her spunky grandma Boop gets wind of her struggles. And when Eve wants to borrow her car to go find her missing best friend. Boop says, sure, you can borrow my car, but I have to come with you. And Boop's goal here is, one, she wants to visit her sister in Savannah. And two, she is, and more importantly, she's worried about Eve and trying to figure out what's going on with her. And Boop herself has a history of depression. And so she's tuned into that. And so the, most of the book is their road trip. And it's sort of a love story between a grandmother and a granddaughter and as boop tries to help eve deal with her future and finding herself and her authenticity she also has to deal with her own past and helping eve helps her to do that
0: excellent well not to say that a mother figure can cause depression by any stretch but i don't think that her eve's mom and boop's daughter help the situation. It helps. <laughs> Agreed. The at all. Agreed. So tell me about this whole dynamic, which I feel like is very interesting, the sort of alliance that forms between grandmothers and granddaughters and sort of skips over the more difficult party in between. Like <laughs> what gave you the idea for this? Tell me about this particular piece of the relationship puzzle.
1: Sure. So Boop is inspired by my own grandmother and her name was Hootie and she had passed away just a few years before I started writing this. And and so I was still, I guess, grieving and not, you know, as one continues to probably grieve for people you love forever, um, but I decided to base Boop off of her, and my grandmother was a delightful, wonderful woman and a wonderful grandmother, but she wasn't a great mom, and mostly because she struggled with alcoholism and depression and that just you know, kind of made her an absentee mother for the most part. But when my mom was a young mother herself, my grandmother's house caught on fire and her husband died. And she decided to move in with my mom and kind of like reinvented herself and became this, the woman I knew who was just wonderful. Like I couldn't have asked for a better grandmother kind of person, but to hear my mother and her sisters talk about the, you know, their mother growing up, it was not the same person that I knew. And I was fascinated by that ability to reinvent yourself. And then at the same time I was writing this, I was a young mom and I was kind of struggling with how to parent my own children. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, life was a little bit, kids had a lot more freedom, I feel like, than they do now. And when I was a young mom, I felt like, the world was telling me I needed to be kind of helicoptery, but that didn't quite sit right. <laughs> and I was really sort of struggling with where the right balance is between taking care of my children and protecting my children, but then also letting them fall down and make mistakes and grow from those mistakes. And so I think that Justine, who is helicopter extreme is sort of like my worst fear of the kind of mom I might become in my quest to want to protect my children. And so what happens in this story is that Justine is trying to be the mom her mom wasn't. And so she goes to an extreme level. Her mother was absent. She felt like she raised herself. And so she wants to make sure that she doesn't do that to her daughter. And so she overdoes it. And so she micromanages her whole daughter's life. And as a result, when Eve leaves for college, she doesn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with life's normal problems because she's used to her mother just kind of creating this perfect little bubble around her. So that's pretty much where Eve starts to fall apart is just not having the skills because she hadn't really had to develop them over life. And so there's lots of tension between even her mom and between her mom and Boop. And there's secrets that and, and choices that they've made to not tell each other things that have made them misinterpret things and cause them to like wonder whether they were loved and all kinds of important questions that haven't been answered because they're not being honest with each other in an attempt to protect themselves and maybe to protect each other too.
0: Wow. Can we go back to... The fire. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking about that? Can you tell me more about it? That sounds horrific.
1: So my understanding is that my grandmother was alone in her house and she fell asleep and maybe passed out and her house caught on fire with her in it. Someone came in and got her out. The house was gone. She was okay. I mean, no one was hurt, but the house was gone. Their stuff was gone. Yes like all of the photographs of, you know, that they would taken over the years were pretty much gone. Which back then, I mean, you didn't have, you know, the digital backup of anything, right? So the photographs that she had of her family and stuff were people like her sister might've had them or, you know, somebody else had them. And so she kind of had to like recreate stuff, but.
0: And so your grandfather did not die in the fire.
1: No, he had a heart attack.
0: Oh no. Yeah. Wow. It is so interesting, this sort of ability for grandparents to like have a do over, right? Everything, make up for the sins of the past with the, yeah. you know, the doting in the present.
1: Yeah. And I think there's just like this carefree, there's a freedom in being a grandparent because the responsibility isn't completely on your shoulders. And so I think you're able to be a little freer and more forgiving. <laughs> And more accepting of the mistakes your grandchildren are making and your your perspective on life is a little bit more balanced, perhaps, than especially especially young moms. I think that's just a really hard time to try to define yourself as a mother. I mean, I, my kids are now in middle school and I'm getting a little nervous about high school and <laughs> exactly how, you know, that's a different kind of parenting than I've had to do. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean, I'm in the same
0: boat. We have uh, <laughs> two almost eighth graders now and and also some little kids, but yeah, I'm like, okay. So now I talk in a different voice, you know, know, like even like the death, the, 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 how high an octave I speak like drops over time. Right. I am literally like have a different voice with each of these, but
1: yeah. I mean, they are able to think through things and make choices and you have to give them some freedom to do that even if those choices aren't always the best.
0: I loved what you said earlier about like sort of this need to helicopter, how that was like of the moment and you didn't buy into it because it does feel also like there are these parenting trends, if you will, and like sea changes, but there's, even though like a few years before that was not the thing, now that it is the thing, you <laughs> have to do it. And it's like, well, yes. what? What what happened to that? What I had to do three years ago? Like that no? We're done That's with that? Different. It's different. Yeah. I remember
1: thinking like, is this because of like when we're kids, remember how all the milk curtains had the pictures of the missing children yes. on them? So you'd have your cereal at breakfast? Like, is this the result of like a lifetime of looking at missing children on milk parties? And then you're now a parent and you're just worried your kid's going to get kidnapped all the time. I mean, I'm not saying no one ever gets kidnapped and bad things don't happen, but I don't feel like they happen with the regularity that we fear they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Or you know? one could probably argue that they don't happen because of the vigilance, but...
1: Could be true too.
0: Could be true. So you never know. know. <laughs>
1: Which came first, right? I mean, I think everything has its benefits and its pros and cons, right? Like it's it's all about balance and and that push and pull and trying to figure out the right spot. But that's hard.
0: But essentially I feel like why there are so often sort of these headbutting incidents with like between generations is because we all it's like have to embrace those trends, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Like when my mother or my grandmother says something and I'm like, no, no, no. Like this is, you have, everyone has to, you know, say breastfeed or whatever, whatever it is. Right. They're like, well, we didn't. And I'm like, well, you know, you you did did it wrong. Right. Cause (laughs) I, and I think it all comes from this place of deep insecurity because ultimately none of us know what we're doing because we can't possibly know. Like it's new to everybody and it's constantly changing. So we cling to you know, it, you have to be very sort of strong of character, I think, to go against the mold and be able to justify it because, like, there's so much data all the time, right? And whatever, whatever pe- the the collective has picked, there's data. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. you can find data probably to support a lot of different, <laughs> a lot yeah. of different choices, right? And even if one thing is better in a certain way for your kids, it might be like maybe helicopter parenting makes your kids physically safer but maybe it makes them mentally less safe.
0: Right. Yep.
1: And so how do you find that space between like my kids are relatively physically safe and relatively mentally safe? And, you know, that's not, and it's not the same for every kid. It's not the same for every parent. It's not the same in every community. I mean, I mean, I just, it's so, it's a really hard thing to figure out the best way for you to parent your child in your time.
0: So true. Yeah. As I, I mean, maybe as you've gotten, As your kids have gotten older and so, you know, as we have alongside them, right, I think there's, I feel much more confident now making choices that I didn't feel like before. And I do think that having people like Boop in your life or people who have made different choices or who, you know, are so individualistic helps, right, to see that sort of role model, to have it out there.
1: (laughs) Right. You don't necessarily have to do what everyone else is doing but it's good to think about what everyone else is doing and what the what the thought behind that is and why that might be appropriate in some cases and not other cases. You know, we do a lot of judging parents for the way they do things and that feels awfully unfair and hard on each other too.
0: Totally. I do also feel though, and that there is this piece of, feeling a little left out by the mom in the sandwich of the daughter and the grandmother, you know, am I, I, you know, I don't think my mother would say this out loud. Maybe I shouldn't even say this, but like, I was super, super close to her mom. And I always, you know, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to visit Gagi. And she's like, what, you're, you're taking a whole trip now to visit your grandmother. (laughs) And like, what about visiting me? She would never say that, but you know, you get it anyway. And then I wonder like, am I, is that going to happen to you, like to me, or am I going to bypass my daughter and because I'm so obsessed with her daughter? I don't know. It's, it, it, it does create some sort of like almost not competition, but it's like exclusion. Like you're, you know, like you're back on the playground again.
1: I think there's a natural tension between mothers and children and maybe even especially daughters. I think that we feel some responsibility for how they turn out in the same way. We might be hard on ourselves. We tend to be kind of hard on our children and I don't think grandmothers feel that sense of responsibility for how they turn out so mm-hmm. much yeah. and see themselves more as a friend figure. And that makes it a little bit easier. And it's nice to have somebody in your life like that who just loves you sort of unconditionally and isn't putting a whole lot of pressure on you to be who you, who your parents, you know, your parents think you should be somebody that's a reflection on them if you're not.
0: Yeah. Very true. Wait, so tell me a little more about the writing of this book and how you even decided to like, how you came up with the plot, how long the whole thing took and all of that. And then I want to hear about your other stuff that you do, like your blog and all sure. of that care packages.
1: So hello. Okay. So I started writing this, it took me about six years, probably yeah, total to write it. And I started it when my daughter was Four and ha- was leaving to go to preschool five mornings a week. i had had a part-time job up until then. And I decided that the amount of money I was making teaching part-time was really not <laughs> the difference in our lifestyle. And this had been a long time dream and maybe this was my chance to grab it. So I spent the time when she was a preschool, largely writing. And in about two years, I had what I thought was a complete manuscript. I'd had a critique group. And, you know, I was feeling really good about it and I sent it out and I just got form letter rejection after form letter rejection, which was, you know, great fun and liked that. (laughs) And because, especially if it's a form letter, you don't even know what's wrong. So I don't know if my letter just stinks because that's like you don't send that much, right? Like you send a letter and you send maybe five pages, maybe 10, maybe a chapter, but it's not much. So what's wrong? (laughs) I don't know. And I found this writing retreat called the Algonquian Writing Retreat. It's in St. Augustine, Florida, which is a spot in my novel. And it was already a spot in my novel, coincidentally. But anyway, I went to this writing retreat because he kind of sold it as like the tough love writing retreat. And they had six, I think, industry professionals there that you got to meet with for 20 minutes at a time, which is kind of unheard of. And you got to give them your pitch. And then they told you exactly what they were thinking, which... (laughs) I like that. And bad, right? Like, <laughs> and so, what I learned that day is that particular draft of this novel had three red flags that basically they all agreed they would never even read at the first page after reading my cover letter because of these three red flags. Okay, red flag number one the book was originally set in the 1990s. That's not contemporary and it's not historical. So, it makes it a little tougher because it doesn't sit on a natural shelf. Mm. So if you are a debut author, they do not like your book to be set. you know, they're like 1950s or before or now, but that little, that in-between time makes them super uncomfortable. Now, if you've, if you've got a reputation and you write, you know, that's different, but for someone who I've never heard of you, (laughs) then that, that, that's red flag. Number one, red flag. Number two, was, I mean, this is still a character-driven novel, but it was even more character-driven in its first draft. This book was sort of held together with the thread of Eve's best friend has sort of gone missing in action and they're, they're trying to find her. Before, that was a very small subplot in the whole book. So the rewrite ended up pulling that storyline out to make that the arc. And the third problem was that it was in first-person point of view. And my background was writing YA in middle grade, which they love first-person in that genre. But apparently, adults' books sell better if they're in third-person. So what each of these people told me independently was, with three things that we don't like from debut authors, we wouldn't read your book. Now, of course, you can think of a million books that break all of those rules, but they usually aren't someone's first book or they're someone famous's first book, which doesn't have to follow those rules either. So interesting. I had been writing for a long time and I never knew any of this stuff. I've yet to see it written down anywhere, but that was apparently the thing. So I spent a few months grieving for the loss of this book that I thought (laughs) was really great. And apparently it wasn't commercial enough for an agent to be interested in it. And then I you know, put on my big girl girl pants and did a massive rewrite. I mean, changing the time to adding a plot line and changing the point of view in particular was huge. Now, this draft that resulted from that is way better than the draft that didn't sell. So, you know, do I regret it? No. Was it hard to do that? Yes. (laughs) So that's the journey of, of that book. And it's, you know, rewrite and why it took so long and all that good stuff.
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow, that is so interesting. I have not heard those things either about debut novels. Who were the who were the insiders? Were they did they work in publishing houses? Were they agents? They
1: were what? they were agents. Some of them did more like a TV. Like we're, we're kind of, one of them was like a TV to book to TV kind of guy. Mm-hmm. The others mm-hmm. were agents, three agents, one TV guy and one, what was that person? Oh, no, a Pulitzer surprise author who wasn't yeah. talking about that so much, talking about other stuff, but the, but the, uh. agents were the ones in particular who, who sort of pointed this out.
0: That's yeah. so interesting. I mean, it's almost like it could save authors a lot of time to go to a boot camp like that before they write the book. Like if you had only yeah. known.
1: Yes. And uh, I think that's what he would have liked to do. I mean, this guy sort of was thinking, you you write your whole like synopsis before you write the book and that's what you're bringing with you. But, you know, most of us had already worked on our books and had <laughs> had yeah. already invested a lot of time into them
0: to then well, go where this was... It's also hard to have a fully formed idea without actually writing it. Like maybe you need to write that draft to figure out what, you know, things unfold as you write, blah, blah, blah. It's hard to see the whole thing from the outset.
1: Yes, absolutely. I guess some people think differently too, but I'm with you. Like I definitely like learn my characters as I write them. Mm -hmm. And the plot changes as I go. (laughs) And I mean, I always have an outline, but the book in the end is not what the outline was.
0: And how did you get started writing and publishing?
1: So I started, I think I was, well, I was twenty three when I wrote my first book, <laughs> and I was in graduate school to be a teacher, and I had an assignment to an assignment that went awry and ended up being basically a novella, which was not at all what the assignment was supposed to be, but I like turned it in with a sheepish apology of, "You don't really have to read this. I got to <laughs> I'm hoping that you're just gonna be excited that your assignment encouraged this to happen. But you know I understand if I have to redo it the way I was supposed to do it in the first place. <laughs> But the teacher was very gracious and was like, this is awesome. I love it. But I really had so much fun writing that book. And the professor said, hey, you know, you should try to like submit this and get it published. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. But it was only like 80 pages, which isn't a book exactly. So I did rewrite it and I tried submitting it and it didn't really go over very well. But to be frank, I mean, it was bad. So it's okay that it didn't go over very well. From that, I decided that I did really enjoy writing and I wanted to I wanted to be a writer, but I was teaching as my job. So over the summers, I got an MFA at Hollins University in writing for children and young adults, because that's where I thought, you know, that's where my heart was, I guess, at that time. And I've written three, two YA books and one middle grade book that sit on my computer. And Boop and Eve's Road Trip was going to be a young adult book, but Boop ended up being really a dual protagonist. I mean, she has as much of the story as Eve does. And you really can't have an 80-year-old be a main character in a young adult book, even if the other person is <laughs> young. <laughs> and so I made Eve a little bit older when I realized that was happening and put her in college. And the original thought she was going to be more like in boarding school or something like that. So younger, but still away from mom. But anyway, so she's ni- Eve's 19 and Boop is 80. <laughs> so.
0: Wow. So and now also you do your blog and you have these amazing literary care packages talk about those things
1: yeah so i have a blog called the gift of story and One of the things I do there is something called a literary care package. And I did one for your anthology. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. But basically it's the idea of, you know, people like to gift books, but sometimes it's overwhelming to think there are a million books out there. Which book do I give and what for and who for? And so what I try to do is find a book that I think would make a great gift for a certain target audience. And your example of your book being people who are mothers. And then come up with two items that are related to the book, usually thematically related to the book so that you have something more than a book to give, though a book is a lovely gift, but sometimes people want you know something to kind of round it out a little bit. And so it's I call them literary care packages and I, I make one a month and then I have like a larger like e-guide that's like, 12 of them. So sometimes they're related to the to a holiday like or, or a particular event. So like, if you're going to a baby shower, here's a great gift. Or if you're going to a wedding, here's a great gift. And then sometimes they're related to a certain target like yours was, you know, this is a great gift for moms. Whenever you might give a mother a gift. I mean, obviously Mother's Day is a nice time to do that. But I mean, people have birthdays all year long and sometimes. So I do those. And I also have a Facebook group called Bookish Road Trip which is for travelers and readers. And we do lots of fun things there. And Zibby is going to be our guest at our next book club, which is July 7th at seven o'clock. And we're going to be discussing Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine <laughs> anthology. So we like to have the author come if they're able to. And we do a different book every month. And it kind of it runs the gamut. So it's, you know, lots of different kinds of books. Last month we did a, a Stephanie Dre's recent release of the Chateau Lafayette, Women of Lafayette. I'm mangling that, but a historical fiction book and we've done all kinds of different things. So we'd like to have fun and chat about books and we do panels and lots of fun things.
0: Amazing. Well, I'm so excited for my book club, I have to say. And Thank you for making me a care package. <laughs> so excited to have you. <laughs> oh, I can for something. It's amazing. <laughs> Awesome. So in terms of writing, you have all these businesses and writing and all this great stuff. What, are you doing another book or are you on hold with the books for now? What do you think?
1: I am writing. I'm not writing as much as I would like to be. I am very much struggling to figure out how to find time to write (laughs) and find time to market. You know, I think when the book came out, the marketing sort of took over and it's been hard to like pull back enough to find large amounts of time to write, but I'm writing about an hour a day, give or take, which is slow, but it's steady. And I decided to do something really strange this time with this novel. It's, it's, it's very different from Bupini's Road Trip. It's a dystopian novel set in the future, but I was having trouble writing it because I kept like writing, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 pages, and then realizing that's not what I wanted to happen and throwing them away which is not a very efficient way to get into a book. And so I decided to write a screenplay of it first because for me, dialogue comes the easiest. So I thought I could just basically write the dialogue for the whole book and find the characters and find the plot. And if I need to throw out a scene, whatever, that was maybe a half an hour of my time, you know, not a big deal. And I'm going to finish that screenplay this week. So the real test is going to be in July when I start writing it in narrative form, whether that's an easy transition. And I don't know yet. So it's kind of an experiment. I've never heard of anyone writing a book this way. I kind of made it up. I'm crossing my fingers. The, The screenplay was easy to write, though. I did like, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best screenplay, and I'm sure a real screenplay writer would tell me lots of things that are wrong with it. But as far as getting what I needed to do as an exercise, it's kind of like a cross between a rough draft and an outline. Huh essentially. It's a hundred ish pages. So I'm hoping that, you know, I take the scene and I turn it into prose and it, it works beautifully. We'll see.
0: I love that. What a great idea. And also it can be a movie. I mean, there you go. It's already done.
1: There you go. There you go. I could have somebody who actually knows what they're doing, writing a screenplay, fix it up. (laughs) You at (laughs) least have the
0: the bones of it, which is great. Right. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I love how your brain works, how you're thinking about things a little differently. And to your point on marketing, like, oh my gosh, book marketing is like, you know, you can't just have a book come out. It's like a whole, it's a whole thing. A whole thing. Never ends.
1: <laughs> whole thing. And you talk to these people who write like, you know, four books a year. I, I don't know how they do that. I, I don't know. You've got another book coming out
0: soon. I do. I know. I have a couple books coming out. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm still trying (laughs) to sell this book. I mean, I don't know. I I I have no idea. I'm like in my head. I'm like, oh well. I'm just going to not make it as big a deal the next time. But already, I'm like, oh, if I spend all weekend making this presentation, like maybe if I sell it in this store, that will change everything. What if I do? And I'm like, I just you just can't stop thinking about it, right? Like. At yeah. least me. I don't know. It's like you can you can that, always do it better, you know. The truth is that selling books is hard. Yeah, it's I mean really- it's
1: not as easy as selling a lot of other things. I think you know it's a even though they're not an expensive product, there's a, there's a time cost in someone buying your book too, right? Like it's you not just the twenty yeah. bucks your book costs. It's the I'm also promising or you know setting myself up to spend six hours of my life. Yeah. With this book. And I think that's the hurdle, maybe more than the 20 bucks.
0: Yeah. But also 20 bucks is a lot. If you don't know if you're going to like something. Right. True. Right. true. Like true, sometimes, true. you know, when I'm like scrolling on iTunes for a movie or something, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't rent this one. Forget it. You know? Yeah. I have to buy this movie. What if I don't like it? What a waste. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And that brings in the point of like how important reviews are, which Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, you know, I was a reader for really many, many years before I ever had a book published. And I didn't know that my spending five minutes writing a review for somebody was like such a huge help to them, Yeah, especially if they're nice. (laughs) But, but, But so now I try really hard to write a review, you know, for books that I read. It doesn't have to be some long like, huge four paragraph thing, you know, a short yeah. paragraph, couple sentences, but it does make a difference because people who are scrolling through and don't never heard of an author, especially new authors, I've never heard of you. I don't know if I want to invest 20 bucks, right. six hours of my life into what you're you're writing. So having people say, Hey, yeah, I did do that. And I don't regret it. You should too. <laughs> it really helps.
0: Very true. I know I'm writing this memoir now and I'm like, it's getting long. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I feel so bad asking people to spend all their time reading this, you know, like this is a lot of time. <laughs> I wonder if I could sum this up for something. I don't know. Maybe I should put like cliff notes at the end of each chapter or something funny. I don't know. You know, if you don't feel like reading this chapter, here's what you miss. do like, like a choose your own adventure. Remember those books? Yeah, I love 12. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So advice. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? My biggest
1: advice is to make friends with other authors. I think no matter what stage you are in your career, you can benefit immensely from those friendships. You know, if you're new, kind of learning the ropes and helping someone with your craft and doing critique groups or or beta swaps or that kind of thing can really be helpful But then as you move along, having someone introduce you to agents or publishers or other book influencers can open up lots of doors for you, so... I know. And then and then the emotional support which you know should not be overlooked. I don't think anyone who doesn't write books understands how hard emotionally this experience can be. So having people who have been there and done that and you know can say, "Hey, yeah, that stinks. Now put your chin up and keep going." <laughs> is is really helpful.
0: Very true. Yes. It doesn't get easier being rejected. It doesn't <laughs> matter how old you are, or how much time you've invested if like someone doesn't like what you've done. It, Really stinks. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Not fun. yeah, yeah, and
1: even constructive criticism, which is you know helpful and helps you grow and get better, and and not to be overlooked, it can still also be a little bit of a ooh. Yeah,
0: ooh. I'm like, I should really show this draft to someone. And I'm like, but uh, maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll be a little maybe I'll, Then I won't be done. You know, <laughs> so. Anyway, well, so nice chatting with you and I'm so excited to come to your book club and thank you for all of your support of me along the way and delighted to chat with you. And yeah, just so glad our paths have crossed.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. It was great to finally get to interact one-on-one with you.
0: You too. All right, have a great day, Mary. You
1: too, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.